when COVID hit, they transferred her to an adult inpatient ICU. Um, and obviously New York kind of took the greatest hit in the United States right away. Um, she was dealing with a completely different population of patients that she had never seen before. Obviously switching from pediatrics to adults is a completely different world. Being in an ICU is a completely different world. And she was a provider. She was responsible for these people's lives. And in a hospital that at baseline didn't really have all of the resources that it needed and then add in a global pandemic definitely didn't have the resources it needed. That was really hard and really weighed on her. Um, she suffered immensely from PTSD and anxiety and depression. Um, so I was really just like trying to help her find resources to kind of work through this tough time in her life. And uh, there weren't any. <laughs> Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 80 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Meet Sam Recker, nurse and sub-230 marathoner. Sam will be towing the line at the 126 Boston Marathon in Moxie Scrubs to support the mental health and well-being of healthcare workers. Sam will try to break the Guinness Book of Records marathon time of three hours and eight minutes while running in nursing scrubs to raise awareness and funds for ANA Nursing World for their well-being initiative. When Sam's physician assistant friend's New York City pediatric hospital was converted to an adult COVID care unit to accommodate the overflow, she put her life on the line to care for patients. She now suffers from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, as do so many others. When Sam couldn't find the resources to help, she decided to combine her two passions to raise money and awareness. We discussed running at Providence, CIM, the U.S. Marathon Champs, the Pan American Games where she was fifth in Lima, Peru, repping the great old USA, going sub-230 at the Marathon Project, where her drive comes from and her relationship with Coach Ray Tracy. The fund Sam will raise will go towards the American Nurses Foundation Wellbeing Initiative programs supporting the mental health and wellness of registered nurses in the United States. Program support includes complimentary therapy resources, expressive writing programs, financial consulting, podcasts, mobile apps dedicated to mental health and well-being, as well as content dedicated to grief and bereavement. Kudos to Sam for taking action on this super important initiative. If you see her out there on Marathon Monday, give her some well-deserved love. Hope you all are inspired by Sam and enjoy our convo. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Sam Recker, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. You have been really busy getting a lot of requests from the media. Everybody wants to hear the story and know uh, like the genesis of it all, like where it came from. And and I think that's probably a great place to start. And then we can get into your background, where you grew up, running, sports, all the other good stuff. But I mean, such a cool thing when something comes together and the running community takes notice of it and pays attention to it which I love because that's how things grow and have an opportunity to really reach potential. Um, and I've seen a, you know, a couple of different magazine articles, Runner's World and different publications pick it up. But talk a little about your idea, like where it came from and kind of how it came to be. Yeah, so um, kind of a lot of different things. Um, 
when I really think about it, I fall back on uh, one thing in particular, which um, we're going to get real deep really quickly, but I guess that's okay. (laughs) Um, So obviously I'm a nurse. I have a lot of friends in the healthcare field as well. Um, I have a really close friend from high school who she was in like my AP bio class in high school. Um, We both kind of dreamed of being in the medical field eventually. Um, She went the physician assistant route. I went the nurse practitioner route, but um, stayed really close and kind of shared our passion for medicine um, throughout our journeys. And she uh, has been working in New York City as a physician's assistant for years and um, was always kind of a pediatric physician assistant. She worked with well, generally well children um, at like an affluent New York hospital. Uh, Didn't really feel like she was doing enough. Ended up moving to um, kind of a more inner city hospital that was resource stricken and uh, still with peds children, generally healthy, well babies um, and children. And uh, when COVID hit, they transferred her to an adult inpatient ICU. Um, And obviously New York kind of took the greatest hit in the United States right away. Um, She was dealing with a completely different uh, population of patients that she had never seen before. Obviously switching from pediatrics to adults is a completely different world. Being in an ICU is a completely different world. And she was a provider. She was responsible for these people's lives. Um, and in a hospital that at baseline didn't really have all of the resources that it needed and then add in a global pandemic definitely didn't have the resources it needed. Um, and that was really hard and really weighed on her. Um, she suffered immensely from PTSD and anxiety and depression. Um, and I've felt that with her, you know, just being her friend and, feeling that pain and watching her struggle. Um, and so I was really just like trying to help her find resources, um, to kind of work through this tough time in her life. And uh, there weren't any, (laughs) um, it was really hard. And she is, you know, on paper, a really privileged individual. She has a great degree. She had a great job. Um, she, you know, has, is smart, has, had, what looked like to be everything set up for her to get the help that she needed. She was ready to get help and she really like couldn't. Um, And so I was frustrated that there really wasn't resources out there readily available for healthcare workers that really put themselves out there um, during the pandemic. And so I was just kind of trying to find a way to, I guess, like fundraise. Um, And I had read in runner's world a couple years ago about the fact that there was a uh, world record for a marathon run in a nurse's uniform because um, a woman in London who's a nurse had broken it a few years ago. Uh, And it raised a lot of attention because she ran in scrubs um, and the Guinness book apparently like didn't ratify the record or something because it wasn't a quote traditional nurses outfit. So uh, nurses and runners rallied together and over, they ended up overturning their decision and everyone accepted that scrubs are the modern day nurse's outfit. Um, so anyway, cool story to end it, but I knew the record existed. And so I was kind of like, Oh, maybe I can like try to attempt the record and find a foundation that supports, um, the mental health of healthcare workers. Um, literally just to like make my friend happy. Um, and I was looking for a foundation and again, just was so frustrated because I really couldn't find one for a while. And I was, 
Googling like crazy. I was sending out emails um, and that just kind of lit the fire even more to find um, something and get behind it. And I was lucky to partner with the American Nurses Foundation. Um, and now all of the funds that are raised are going to go to their well-being initiative, which is essentially exactly what I was looking for. It has um, like free therapy resources, a lot of like wellness apps, um, grief counseling, just so many wonderful resources. Um, my only like gripe is that it's just for nurses and not for all healthcare workers, but, um, you got to start somewhere and I'm very happy I found something. So that was kind of long-winded, but. No, no, no. It's better to go deep and wide, um, and get a better perspective early. Um, you could not have explained that better. Um, I work in healthcare technology. I'm based right here in New York City. So I know what you're speaking of with PTSD um, between my own teams that work on site at hospitals and friend, pro, close personal friends who are runners, doctors, surgeons, um, and many worked in pulmonary units, many worked in COVID direct frontline units. So um, many of those people, the only people they could talk to was not their husband, not their wife. Maybe it was some other person like you or like me because they needed to offload that stress, the PTSD, the emotions and the suffering they were going through because they didn't want to bring it home maybe to their spouse or significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend. They didn't feel comfortable enough. So there were only certain people that were kind of really hearing that true story of just how much grief and suffering there was. And for me being outside New York City and, and running here all the time, I mean, we were just seeing refrigerated semi-trucks pulling up, taking bodies out and, you know, they're burying bodies in parks. And you know, my friends that live in other parts of the world or they're out in the Midwest or other parts are all like, ah, eh, we're all in the same situation. No, no, we're not all in the same situation. Like, no, it's nothing like what's happening here in New York City. And of course, in Spain and in other parts of the world, they had extreme situations as New York did. And just the spikes were um, very different. But the toll that it was taking on healthcare workers. And you also said that beautifully because not everybody is a nurse, right? Some of the pulmonary care people and docs and other um, people that are on those teams, you know, oh man, they're suffering, you know, just as much. And people you know, forget about everything. It wasn't really even, I mean, obviously I've worked in a hospital for my entire career and it wasn't until Omicron that, um, you know, when we had like crazy staffing shortages, when you're like, oh my gosh, like we really need the checkout people <laughs> um, or like EVS isn't coming and cleaning out the trash. Like just um, it's, you know, the ripples really, <laughs> they go far. <laughs> they do. And, you know, you've lost people, you know, from the nursing side, from the PTSD effects, you've, you've lost them from hospitals putting in systems, which employers do as well saying, you know, you have to be vaccinated or if you're not vaccinated, you can't work here. Um, and look, I have friends of mine who are nurses who are not vaccinated. I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do in their life. Whatever they choose to do with their own body is their business, right? That's just the way I personally feel. And so healthcare has just taken enormous hits. They've lost valued resources and people um, because of this emotional struggle that you're talking about. So bringing heat, light, and attention, getting some articles written about it, being out there on Patriots Day, you know, running in scrubs. It's wonderful because anything we can do to bring more awareness around those conditions that still exist and are going to exist for a while, they're not going anywhere. Because even if somebody wrote you a blank check for a million dollars for this or $2 million, whatever, 
there's not going to be some small amount of therapy where people are going to be like, okay, Sam's feeling good now. She's 100%. She's okay. Everything is all right. No, no one is going to be all right. I mean, there's the trauma of you all being the last people to be with these people before they left the earth. Their own families couldn't be in the rooms. And I think that's the part that unless you had somebody pass from COVID or get really sick from COVID, the only way you would really understand what that experience was like is if you talk to somebody who had a husband, wife, or a brother, or a relative in the hospital, and you couldn't go see them, and maybe your only opportunity was to get on a FaceTime phone call with them, with a nurse, you know, helping kind of make that actually come to life. And, you know, that had to have a huge impact, not only for you, but all your colleagues, because, you know, you're basically being put in the role of like grief counselors and other things, which, you know, you're not prepared you know, to be in that position. It's certainly not something you're expecting to do, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't prepared. I, and by no means I wasn't in like the COVID ICUs for my job, fortunately, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything from stocking the rooms to, um, you know, cleaning, taking out the trash to making appointments for people, like every person in the healthcare system is so important. Um, and we've been really quick to thank healthcare heroes. And um, a lot of times that's just focused at like the clinical staff, but it really is, it goes much deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point because the people that run, you know, the COVID machines, the pulmonary machines, the pulse oxygen machines and everything else, I mean, they're engineers, they're technicians. I mean, there's just so much depth to a hospital health system to keep everything running, to keep the lights on, to keep the equipment running. When that stuff fails and the equipment goes down, you know, now you have like one less unit, two less units in in a COVID unit. And as you talked about with Omicron, you know, with cases surging, there's not enough people on hand. There's not enough physical bodies there to handle. So surgical residents, people like you that have a specialty are being rotated and all of a sudden you're not in your normal area of specialty or practice that you studied and spent all your years on. You're suddenly thrust into something different, which is another thing. Like in the history of medicine in our time, that's never happened before. You know, you don't go to school to be an orthopedic surgeon and then all of a sudden you're dealing with COVID patients every day. It's just not, it's not expected. Um, and that's just another, to me, it's just a huge amazing thing of responsibility that the hospital health systems took on that no one could have ever, you know, been prepared for. Yeah, totally. You said that very well. So how has it been going for you, you know, in your role and like how have things changed, say at least over maybe like the last six months? Yeah. So I'm, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I'm in an outpatient clinic. Um, I don't work inpatient. I, um, kind of went against what everybody advises when you graduate nursing school. Everyone says go straight to inpatient. Um, I was still running at a relatively high level when I graduated nursing school. um, And I didn't want to like sell my soul to night shift. Um, So (laughs) I only applied to outpatient jobs um, and was fortunate enough to find one that fit well with my lifestyle. So um, I don't want to like, kind of oversell what I do by any means. I don't work weekends. I don't work nights. I have four 10 hour shifts a week. So it's, it's a nice nursing job. Um, and, but yeah, I mean it over the last two years, there's just so many things that are just completely unexpected. Um, I mean, everything from 
patients having to like cancel routine radiology appointments to have like follow-up imaging for their scans. Um, and then a tumor that may have regrown that would have been caught on that scan getting missed. Um, things that you don't necessarily think about that are like indirect um, like effects of the pandemic um, is kind of what I saw more um, and navigating that. And then obviously like staff shortages and I work in ENT. So um, I work for sinus skull based surgeons. So it was tough. Like all of our patients at baseline have sinus infections, which is uh, the symptoms are shockingly similar to COVID. So <laughs> um, all of our patients failed pretty much every single screening test ever. Um, so that was, that was fun to navigate. Um, but yeah, so that being said, I was also kind of one of the more high risk fields. Every procedure that we do is aerosolizing. So, um, it was definitely a huge adjustment period. Uh, the last six months, you know, we've just gotten used to being comfortable with the uncomfortable situations, but Omicron is definitely a challenge. Um, I'm sure there's going to be another, another wave at some point, (laughs) Um, it kind of seems like cases are starting to peak again, actually, the last like week or so, because I think kind of this booster is phasing out. But yeah, I mean, we're now just like ready to not to continue to say all these cliches, but expect the unexpected. Um, it's that's that's now the norm. Yeah, I think it's changed how everybody thinks about life in general. I mean, who would have anybody won't the initials work from home, you know, like that that could become a thing or Zoom could become like our lifeline or which we talked about a little bit before we jumped on, but um it's helped us navigate the new world that we're in. And, you know, the changes, who knows if these are gonna be just post-COVID changes, they're gonna be permanent changes and you're gonna see more offices being work from home mostly or people going to an office three days a week versus five and some set, you know, as opposed to the standard things that everyone grew up with, which is you went to an office every single day and you commuted, you know, you either walked, drove or took a train or however you got to wherever you were going. And that was your life. And now, you know, everything has just changed and the world has spun and we're all adapting. So um, at least for you, you're not directly, you know, dealing with as much carnage and having to, but it only makes your um, mission more noble because you're, you're doing it mostly because of your relationship with a friend who you cared for. And you've, you know, when you feel powerless to something, um, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. When people feel powerless at home every day and they think they can't do something or what they're doing isn't going to make a difference or it won't matter. Every single person out there has the power to make change in some degree. Um, and me, myself working in healthcare, and I had messaged you about this, I was sitting up in bed at night, not able to go to sleep because I knew how many of my friends were just so shaken by this, like you were, like your with your story with your friend. And, you know, I went from getting masks and other kinds of equipment that I could with my own money and other kinds of things, sending bagels and pizzas. And I said, this isn't doing enough. I got to do something else. And I ran 10 marathons in 10 weeks. I raised a, a lot of money. And I just took all the money to send meals, like fun meals, comfort meals, meals that people would enjoy and remember um, to the nursing units. And half the time, either I delivered them or the food place that I was using one place that makes homemade stuff um, would deliver. And it just made such a change. And um, it didn't fix anybody's problems at work. It didn't take their PTSD away, but they could at least eat something that they really enjoyed and spend an hour either with one or two of their colleagues in a lunchroom or maybe a few socially distant, but they could eat some food that they enjoyed and had comfort. And me, 
I feel good about myself because I was actually doing something. Um, so that's, you know, why I just felt it was so important, you know, to get you on because, you know, the race is coming up so quickly. Um, we're going to blink and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, whatever, what are we, 10 days, 13 days? I don't even, I got to keep track. It's April 18th. What day is today? 12, 12 days. I don't, but, um, the, the good thing about getting you on tonight, um, your show will post the Friday before the marathon and, you know, we'll, put it out there with links to your donation and, you know, give people updates on where you are and how much money you've raised and what your goal is. And hopefully the more people that listen to it um, and just hear your words and why it's important to you and why it's meaningful to you, that always makes a difference. Um, when somebody can hear the person talk about why something is important to me always makes a difference. You know, there's a lot of people out there trying to raise money for very important causes, American Cancer Society, lymphoma, whatever it might be. But People need to understand why it's important. And at the end of the day, what is that money going to go towards? So if nurses who are really struggling and have had a hard time or maybe haven't even hit their hardest time yet, know that they could go there and get counseling and support and services, it's going to help their mental health state if they don't feel comfortable talking to it with a close friend like you, your friend did with you or some of my friends did with me. Um, we're all going to be in a better place. And and your colleagues in the nursing industry are going to be in a better place moving forward. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. So how's the training been going? Ooh, well, <laughs> um, not terrible, not, not wonderful. I'm definitely a little strapped for time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not as fit as I was going into the 229. That's for sure. But um I, I've still been running a lot. I think I hit like 101 last week. So, um, it's, it's all, it's all relative. <laughs> the work I've kind of taken the pressure off of myself by, um, not really doing workouts and <laughs> just hammering a long run every now and then. Um, but no, honestly, I'm in, uh, like a really hard semester of my nurse practitioner degree. And, um, I've let running kind of, um, be my priority, uh, for a few months of the last couple of years. And it was school's turn to be the priority this semester. So running, um, kind of is sitting in the backseat a little bit, but I hope to still get the most out of myself that I can on April 18th. And, um, it definitely won't be a PR, but hopefully it's a decent performance. <laughs> oh, listen, it's what you're running for that matters most. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know, just looking at my page every day, I'm like, I don't need it. I, I hope I cross the finish line. This was already worth it. <laughs> hey, now you're, now your perspective is correct. I mean, look, you have put together one heck of a running resume for somebody your age. Um, you have some serious running creds, 229 PR. Um, you ran 230 or 231 at CIM, right? I think. Um, so you would have run in the trials, obviously you were injured and missed. So you, you mean, you put together some amazing, you know, running creds at this point, super early, you know, in your running career. Um, so yeah, you, you had to focus on this piece and it's not over. You got to get through it. So if running does nothing more than just help you relieve stress and anxiety for all of these other things that are going on in your life, then that's, that's its purpose right now. 
you know, come race day, I guarantee you, you are going to be a fucking rock star out there. I can guarantee you because anybody's, anybody's going to see those scrubs. There's not going to be, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to say no one because we all know in Boston, anybody could do anything. Um, is it possible someone else could have scrubs on? Of course. Um, but I'm pretty sure they're going to know you when you come through. And that's what's important because it's, you know, like to stand out in the crowd isn't easy in a Boston race. Um, and that will help. That will help people recognize you and see you. I'm sure they're going to be able to track your number. So if they're using the app, they're going to know where you are in the course. Are you going to have lots of people out there in the course? You're going to have lots of friends and family out there, you know, cheering, giving you, giving you the business, you know, rooting for you. Yeah. Um, my parents are coming. Um, I have like a few friends, um, coming as well. Um, my roommate from college is flying in from Colorado, which is super nice and exciting. Um, and yeah, my boyfriend will be there. There's, it, there should be, I should hopefully know quite a few people out there, which always helps. <laughs> nice. Nice. You watch the Bostonians. You'll be, you'll be number one in their minds and healthcare is a massive presence in Boston. I mean, it just, it's just a great hospital health system, Boston children's it's just great hospitals and health systems up there. Some of the best in the entire country. And I'm a New Yorker. So that's saying a lot, but it's true. Um, cause I do work in the, in the space. Um, they will be out in force. Um, for sure. And, you know, make sure you stay to the right and see Spencer the dog when you go by, you know, <laughs> get a little love from Spencer because, you know, he's result done his chemo treatments and, you know, he'll be out there. And, you know, I think I missed him last year, which was a bummer. I was like, what? Yeah. How did I miss him? Because it's he's early in the race, man. I think it's like Ashlyn, right? Um, yeah. So you got to be on the be on the lookout for Spencer. He'll give you Spencer. Spencer will give you a little love. And, uh, so have you done any longer runs? I'm sure you've run in the scrubs at some point, but you've done any longer runs just like as a test to see like how uncomfortable yeah. it might be or. Um, so I, when I first kind of came up with this idea and decided I was going to go for it, um, I was like, all right, I got to go for a run in these and see what it's like. And, um, I literally had like my most like athletic scrubs were literally from Walmart. They were like $20, but they were like light and like kind of cheap. And that's what worked. Um, and I went for like a 20 mile run in them and I, it wasn't bad. Granted, it was also like winter. So I was going to be wearing pants anyway. And I think I wore like a sweatshirt over the top, but I was expecting it to be way worse. And I was like, Oh, okay, maybe I could do this. And then, um, once I got on board with the American Nurses Foundation, they uh, connected me with a, it was all kind of serendipitous and perfect, a startup scrub company out of, that's based out of Boston um, called Moxie Scrubs. And um, they have been really wonderful. Uh, and they sent me a bunch of pairs of scrubs to kind of try out. And they are like super athletic-y. There's a jogger. So that's ideal. Um, they're like a combination of spandex and polyester. So they're really nice. Um, and I've, I've tried them out. Everyone's very concerned about the chafing. So I've tried them out a few times. Um, and honestly, no complaints granted. It's also been pretty cold here, but, um, I mean, it's, it's the weather's going to be what it's going to be. And I'm going to be wearing scrubs no matter what. So <laughs> I'm not really too worried. <laughs> and trust me, no, no, no statement could be more correct than Boston, man. I've seen all four well, seasons. And I've seen weather, but <laughs> yeah, I was, I was there in 2018. Let's see which way that it was honestly miserable to be cheering. So yeah, right? <laughs> I can imagine. 
right above my head. You know, you can't see the raindrops in there, but it's monsoon territory. Oh. Trust me. Like, I mean, the raindrops were like <laughs> this big. It was, it was, so big. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it was so silly. Um, but it was one of those things you'll never forget. And you're happy that you were part of it. So, um, yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Um, squirrel, squirrel nut butter is your friend. If you can find some, you can get it, you can get it on Amazon. All the ultra runners use it. I've been using it for years, but they make these really small ones. I mean, they're like this big, the way a roll on, you know, underarm deodorant would be. So they're that small. I mean, you could literally carry it on the bus with you in your hand and just put it on everywhere. It's going to be. <laughs> yeah. No, it just works. It works really well. Um, no matter what you're wearing. So, I mean, what if it's hot, cold and everything in between. So that's great that that company connected with you. Um, it's great that you have a charity that is really on point and on center. And how's the, how's the fundraising going at this point? Like how far along are you and like, what's the goal? Um, it's going well. I set the goal at, um, 26,200 because self-explanatory, <laughs> um, and, I had to give a presentation at school this morning and my last slide was I wanted to like give an update of what it was because my classmates have been really supportive. So um, as of like 1, 2 p.m. today, the last time I checked when I gave the presentation, it was like 23,500, I think. So it was awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. And when did you actually start the fundraising? Like when did you make your announcement? Um, I shared it with like very close friends and family um, and like my coworkers, um, maybe like the beginning of March. It wasn't that long ago. No, that's not. <laughs> I shared yeah, that... it with like the world at the very beginning of March. Um, yeah, it, the idea is, rel it all kind of had to happen really quickly. Um, I think I, I mean, it must have been the beginning of February when I reached out to try to get a bib. It was whatever, like, the last possible day to register for a bib was. Um, it was very last minute. <laughs> Amazing. So last minute on the bib, only since March. I mean, that that's incredible. I mean, you're only, like, a month into fundraising, and you're almost there with the goal. So hopefully between all the different media outlets that have, you know, pushed your information out, and, you know, the, the thing that with podcasts and Instagram and stories, it's so much more immediate. It's that day. It's that moment. Um, so you can get a lot more eyeballs onto seeing it. So hopefully um, by the time we get ours pushed out, get the episode out and get some clips and some stuff put together, all that will help promote it. And I can put a link right in my own bio to your fundraising page and other stuff to make it simple for people um, to get there. Um, and if we collaborate on the post, then you don't even have to write the post. You can just use my own post for the podcast and then it will show up in your own feed, which means that your own users will be part of my, my post and my, my user will be part of your post. So you're basically taking all of my followers that read all my posts and look at my oh, show nice. are going to come on. They're going to be on your page that can comment and like it and whatever, but they can share it on Instagram and share it in stories or put it into a reel or do whatever they want. But most importantly, you're going to have links to the fundraising in yours as well. So it just, it kind of doubles, you know, not the, just the eyeballs, oh, cool. but the way for, so you can teach me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it, collaboration is one of the best tools because most of the time when people would come on a podcast, they would just do a share, use an Instagram share app. And then they're always like, if you're on a show, 
everybody struggles with that, including me. It's like, what am I going to say? Like, oh, I was on, you know, Sam's show and I really had a fun time. Like, you don't know what to say. You don't want to say anything great about yourself. So it's always like, it's much easier when the other person, the podcast show says, oh, Sam is awesome and she's inspiring and look what she's doing. And like, you don't have to say anything. You just, it's already written. So um, that's why I think the collaborator thing has worked so well for everybody because you don't really have to use a share app and then you're writing like two sentences and somebody else wrote something more. So it works well. And plus if you're engaged with other sponsors, so you have the company who's helping you, you know, with the scrubs, then if you said it was Moxie, whoever they are, I can tag them. And obviously the, the nursing group um, that the charity is involved with can tag them as well and you can tag your hospital where you work and, or the practice group that you work for any, the important thing is the people who know you and know what you're up to and why you're doing it, the more of them that see it, the better off we're going to be. Cool. So are you getting nervous at all or no? You're you're just like... <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's uh, it's really going it to... It definitely hasn't hit me yet. Um, I'm not really one to get super nervous for races. Um, I kind of have this like mantra where if you're not nervous, something is wrong. <laughs> like if you're not nervous, you have nothing to lose kind of a thing, you know? Um, so I welcome nerves in that regard. Um, I feel like if I'm not nervous going into a race, that just means I'm not fit. <laughs> um, but I'm more nervous cause I just, I want to represent the profession well. And I, um, obviously a lot of people have supported me, so I want to do the best I can. And I'm, I've always been somewhat confident in the running because I've been able to put in the work and I haven't really gotten to put in the work I would like to before a marathon this time around. So um, definitely a little nervous about that, but we'll see. <laughs> well, focus on the first part of what you said, um, representing your profession well and just being a light for the profession because it's a noble thing you're doing. You're bringing light and attention and in an area that needs more attention. Sure, there have been plenty of articles written about this, but what is anybody actually doing about it? That's really what it comes down to. So yes, people are talking about shortages. People are talking about burnout. People are talking about docs and nurses having PTSD, but what's anybody actually doing about it to try to rectify the problem, offer some sort of solutions? You don't really see a lot being done. So by you taking this action and doing something, sure, it's more than just a runner's world and a couple of other big publications writing about why you're doing it. It's going to offer some services to people who need it in your profession. So to me, it's like golf clap, mm -hmm. kudos, yeah. like anything where an action that we take or are trying to take yields some sort of result or change is a super positive step. And I guarantee you somebody out there is going to read that runner's world article, listen to you on this podcast or other podcasts and go, well, if Sam did this, maybe I can do something in my hospital or in my community or in my sport or field. It doesn't have to be running. I don't care what it is. There's always something that we can do to try to bring about change. And, you know, that's what that's what this show is all about, highlighting, you know, people who are taking steps. Is it about running? Yeah, it's a lot about running. But, you know, it's really like runners are awesome people, man. At the end of the day, runners are disciplined as hell, hardest workers, um, across any industry. I don't care what it is. I mean, I've, I'm 61, so I have a lot of life experience. And I can tell you, my running friends, my work colleagues that run, the people that I intersect with in the hospital health system, the C-suite people, the people on the boards, they're some of the best damn people I've ever met, but no one's going to outwork them. No one. Um, their work ethic and their ambition is just, you know, put it up against anybody. So that's what runners are, man. We're, we're the people who are just like, we figure out something's got to get done and we're like, 
all right, we can figure this out. Let's pull, let's pull something together here. So I'm excited for you. Um, do you have any, are you going to run with anybody? Do you have any friends that are looking to like hang with you and do some miles? Or you're just going to go out there and just rip it at your own pace and just enjoy the day. Yep, exactly. Cool. Let it flow. I guarantee you pick up some company. I, I wager. Oh, I'm, yeah, I, like that. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. I mean, people just, it's just the way it is. People just always show up out of nowhere. All of a sudden it's like, Hey, I know you. Yeah. I follow you on Instagram. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so come on. Hey, how are you? You know, let's run a couple of miles together, you know, and then people go their own separate ways. But yeah, that's the beauty of, uh, beauty of the sport. Right. So, um, let's go backwards. So now we covered the charitable endeavor and it's awesome. And, you know, in the show, we'll put all sorts of links and I'll try to link at least one or two of the articles, Runner's World and the one, I know there was one in a nursing um, periodical and there was one in People, I think too, right? There was a couple of uh, major publications, right? Yeah, I think People was yesterday. Was it yesterday? Well, I'll link all of those in the show notes with my producer um, and we'll make sure that they can see, so they can read, you know, some of the print stories that are out there. And, um, you know, this is the opposite. We'll go in reverse. Like, you know, let's talk a little about, you know, where you grew up and, you know, how you got started with running. Cause we can't just talk about the charitable piece. We got to talk about you as a runner too. Um, yeah. So I grew up in upstate New York. Um, I went to Burton Hills high school. Uh, we were part of section two, which was like a pretty strong running, um, area in New York. Um, definitely kind of, um, fell in love with like the competitive aspect of the sport in high school, um, and was driven to be the best just because the people around me, my competitors in high school were the best. Um, so that was really cool. Like we'd show up to a dual meet and Saratoga was always like national contenders. So <laughs> you always like have to be on your A game. Um, so yeah, I, I found some success in running in high school and, um, I went to Providence college, obviously a successful running school. And, um, had a wonderful experience there as well. My senior year, we were um, runner up at the team for the team championship at NCAAs and cross country. So that was a really amazing experience. Um, I, after college, I kind of just um, stopped running for a while as much people do, or I guess I didn't, I wasn't really competing. I was running, obviously we all still always run, but um yeah, I stopped competing for a while. And then it wasn't really until nursing school that I fell back into it um, again. But um, yeah, I, I, my roots from running definitely start with my roots from where I'm from. Yeah, Saratoga's got, you know, storied history with running for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Big time, tons of championships. And Providence, uh, come on, man, they've got some of the greatest uh, cross-country runners, big connection with all the Irish runners. And, you know, Ray Tracy, right, who, who was your coach, right? So did you connect with him from there? Because I know he was working with them, you know, for, for many years prior, right? He was there. He's not there anymore, right? No, well, he's still there, yeah. Oh, he's he is still there. there. Okay. Yeah. And then um, I, I reached back out to Ray. Um, I ran 245 at New York in 2016 and kind of decided to – start training again a little more seriously and go for a trials qualifier. Um, so I reached out to Ray to see if he would kind of help me. Um, and I dropped my time. Like, I think I, I ran 238 at Hartford the following year. Um, and then the next one was 230 at CIM. So um, he obviously is doing something right. <laughs> just a, just some small drops. 
in the road. Yeah. So uh, 245, 238, 230. And Hartford's not an easy course. So, no. and obviously New York is not an easy course, but I mean, so you're, you're not running on easier courses and then, you know, CIM, that's like a massive drop. So it's like 245, 238, 230, 15 full minutes. Um, yeah. that's, that is seriously impressive. Um, did you have a good run in Providence? I mean, did you enjoy your college running? Was it fun? Um, I definitely enjoyed it and learned a lot. I don't think I performed wonderfully. Sorry, Ray. Um, <laughs> I definitely have performed better since college. Um, and probably ran a little better in high school. Um, obviously college is just like a big transition time. I, I didn't adjust super well. Um, but, uh, in general, super enjoyed, um, being on that team and all the experiences that I drew from that. And I definitely, I didn't run terribly, but, um, if you're looking at my whole running career, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily highlight my college races. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a, had a great experience with the team there and all of the people, um, in the athletic department and, um, saw some success, but have seen more since graduating. <laughs> yeah. But look, it's important because people's reflections, Sam, are wildly different, um, from just, you know, putting too much pressure on themselves, getting injured, having a coach who was overbearing or had too high expectations for runners or tripled their mileage from where they were in high school. I mean, when I say the people I talk to on the show, I mean, I'm talking to pros, people who've run your times, faster times, and I'm talking to amateur runners. So how people feel about their running from their high school years to their college, it's important, you know, and like sometimes they're just not mentally ready for it. You know, it's just too much else going on between academics and social life and, you know, being on your own and eating different foods. And it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. And we're not, who's equipped for any of that stuff at 18 years old and 19 years old. So um, I'm sure it was better than you're describing. And it's not like you're describing it as like it, was, it wasn't good. It just, I bet you ran better than you're, you're saying. Um, and you probably are running better since you got out. But I'm just saying like, you know, there's, there's some positive stuff in there. And I, I oh, guarantee you. I, I mean, being runner up at NCAAs was like the coolest ever. So, um, some really, really good things came from those deers. <laughs> yeah, man. When you put that singlet on, come on, those are, they're great memories. And trust me, you're still so, so young, but you know, five years is going to go by, 10 years is going to go by and you're going to look at some of those pictures and it's going to be just such a different, such a different feeling yeah. and friends of yours, you know, that you ran with, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe you're not in touch with as much. Um, you know, maybe you'll see one of those pictures and be like, Oh my God, I got to reach out to Abby or, and I got to reach out to Mary and see what she's doing. And, you know, that's, that's the coolness sometimes of, like you said, you step off running for a while, you know, and then you came back to it at nursing school. I mean, you never really leave running. Like, I mean, you might leave it competitively trying to run your fastest time or trying to make an Olympic trial standard, but you never really leave it. Like it's always there, you know, to some degree. Um, and then connecting back with him after college is great because, you know, maybe you weren't, operating at hundred percent. Maybe you were at 85% of your best version of yourself, but look where you came from, 245, 238, 230. I mean, that's massive. Now, how far apart were those races? I mean, I know the timeline. I know Hartford is a fall race. New York is a fall race. CIM is December. It's all year apart. Uh, New York was 2016. Hartford was 2017. CIM was 2018. Perfect. Um, and then... I ran the Pan Am Games in 2019, um, 
and then the marathon project in 2020. So I really don't do, um, I don't have enough time to do here <laughs> or energy. Yeah. But you know what? That's good for you at the stage. Um, you see so many people like I'm the bad example. I ran all six avid marathon majors in the same year. Only seven people in the world did that. So like, I'm always trying to take on a lot of crazy stuff, but it's different. I mean, I'm 61. My fastest days are behind me. I mean, I could still run very fast times as a master's runner, but I'm not going to run, you know, 240 like I did in Boston, you know, when I was 36. Um, but if I could still run in the low three hour range at 61 and I can, you know, that makes me feel every bit as good about myself and brings as much joy to me as when I was running, you know, 20 or 25 or 30 minutes faster, because it's all relative as we get older and, you know, there's age grading and there's always a way to find some way to measure our own performances, you know, whether we're college age or in between. So one a year is probably perfect. Um, because you have to run a lot of mileage to run those kind of times. You got to put a lot of work in and the workouts are hard. The long runs are hard. You know, you're doing, you know, have to be doing a hard track workout mixed in there too. So it's just, it's a lot. And it's not like you're hanging out and you're not working. You got a crazy workload and study load. So it's, it's double, you know, kind of the load, like stress wise, there's the physical load, the mental load. So you made it through those three, and then the Pan American Games was when? That probably was in the summer, right? Yeah, July. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the trials you were injured for, you had qualified for. Yeah. And then- So that was was tough. Um, I was kind of like running through an injury just to try to get through the trials, and then ultimately it was a stress fracture, and I, um, uh, in like January- was when I got the diagnosis and I was kind of deciding between um, like cross training like crazy and just running the trials for the experience um, or not. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe if I hadn't run two thirty, I would have just done it, but I felt like I had put myself in a place to like really compete at the trials and be like competing for like a top 20, maybe on an amazing day, a top 10 position. And um, I didn't want to go there and like not be my best. So, um, that was Ray kind of helped me guide that decision, but, um, ultimately decided to, to forego the trials. And, um, I would have probably never run or trained for the marathon project if I had run the trials. So I guess it was kind of a silver lining at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, the timing probably would never have worked out for the marathon project. Um, and I was in Atlanta, um, and it was, one of those things that I'll always remember. Um, I was a day from boarding a flight to go run the Tokyo marathon and then they canceled it for us. They allowed the elites to run in 2020, but you know, all my friends were like, Oh, what are we going to do? Uh, this sucks. And I'm like, all right. And I just thought about it. I'm like, there's gotta be something I can, there's gotta be something to do. And one of my friends is going, you're going to Atlanta, right? I'm like, Atlanta, Atlanta, the trials. And I'm like, like I literally just like put it in like less than an hour. I put the whole thing together. You know, the, my dog walker, all the things I have to do behind the scenes, work stuff. I just pushed it all aside. I'm like, I'm going to the trials, man. It was the, one of the coolest things ever. Um, you know, that I wasn't well, involved with as a runner. So, and flew to Paris. So, <laughs> well, that's a silver lining too, right? I was like, I need to get away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that and then probably accidentally brought COVID back with me because it was bad timing. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you work when you work so hard for something like that, that's the ultimate. 
I mean, to put the USA colors on. Well, you ran in the Pan American game, so you know what uh, what that experience is like. But I mean, it's just such an honor. Um, and to have such a strong women's field, the strongest ever, the largest ever, um, just women's running has just been on this crazy, wild trajectory. And it's just so impressive. Um, and it's exploding and continuing to build. The momentum is building. And it's wonderful to see. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine what that would be like to qualify and then have that happen. And it does happen. I've had guests on, same thing. Or they tr or they tried to run, like in your case, they were trying to figure out some way and they went down there and, you know, they stepped off the course in five miles or in 10 miles and 12 miles. But yeah, they, yeah. 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 So I'm glad you didn't um, because then you got a chance to work and be part of the marathon project. And that was really cool, right? I mean, talk about that because I haven't had anybody on who ran in that race before. Um, and, you know, I followed it and I tracked it all day. I mean, I think I might've been able to watch it on Twitter. There was some way I was watching it. There was a feed somehow. I don't even remember how um, I was watching it, but it was really cool. So talk talk about that race and, and what it was like for you. Yeah, so that race was cool. It was... Um, um they put it on basically for elite marathoners that weren't able to get a race in 2020. Um, and so I applied, um, and got accepted to the fields and it was, you know, the first time a lot of people had been able to race and it was like a very, uh, kind of like closed circuit environment. Um, we were only allowed two spectators each. Everybody had to be wearing masks. Um, it was like a loop course, um, super strict COVID protocols. It was like very, um, unknown territory for racing at that time. Um, so it was like kind of scary, but it was awesome. It was really cool. Um, it obviously went pretty well for me. So <laughs> I have like good things to say about it. It was a flat fast course and a really good weather day. Um, and the race itself, they had different pacers for, um, different times and it, worked out nicely. They had like a, a 22930 group, which was the Olympic standard. So um I just kind of hung in that group for as long as I possibly could and was essentially in it until it kind of all fell apart at the end. And there was nobody in the group anymore. <laughs> but uh yeah it was it was a really cool, cool experience. Yeah, I mean, from what I, from what my recollection was, I mean, it was a small field, as you said, but with very specific pace groups trying to get people to those really key goals, and the the structure of the course was set up, you know, like super elite, elite. I mean, it's not like running Boston and you have elite fluid tables. I mean, this is like you're in your own race. I mean, it's it was a really small field, right? I mean, how many how many I run or around forty men and forty women? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, small. so that had to feel kind of weird, right? I mean, did it feel almost like you were on like your longest hard run that you've ever been on in your life with a couple of fast friends or a big pack? Um, the two twenty nine thirty pack was pretty large. There was like a good group of women. Um, and I was like right in that pack the whole time. So it was honestly probably like the most women I've ever really raced, um, that closely with. Cause, um, I haven't run like the elite field in like a women's only start ever. So, um, it was really cool. It was, it didn't really feel like I, I got lucky. I always had people around me. I didn't get like stuck in no man's land or anything. So, um, it felt like any other race. Cool. And you obviously we had your fluids, all that other stuff. So 
that's a plus. You don't have to worry. And also with such a few amount of competitors, like for example, in Atlanta, one of the biggest things we talked about is, my God, the Atlanta Track Club, what an amazing job. And it was the crazy women's size field. I mean, like so many women and those bottles were laid out. And I've had, I think, six or eight women that ran in Atlanta. Like everyone got to their bottles. Like they didn't, I didn't hear any horror stories like, oh no, my bottle, they got to their bottles. And of course, everyone decorates them fancy and all this, but you're trying to find your fancy bottle on a table with hundreds of other bottles. So, I mean, that had to be pretty cool being, yeah, you know, nice having like a couple bottles on a table. Yeah. To scoop it up, man. Like, Hey man, this is mine. It's mine. Don't touch. It's mine. So what do you use for fuel? What do you, what do you train with? Um, I really don't. <laughs> um, no, I, I am like pretty traditional. I just use goo and water. Um, try to do in a race. I'll do it like every 5k, um, pretty religiously. Cool. So you were just going, you just went gels and water. So you didn't yep. even have to have any electrolyte drinks or anything like that. You didn't... I don't usually, um, I, I don't love the carbonation during a race. Um, so I usually just, I'll just do water and, and the goo. Yeah. Hey man, if it's working for you and you're running and you're running sub two thirty, I'm a hundred percent on board. I'm going with it. Um, I was team Morton for the longest time and um big believer in Morton. I have celiac, so I've got my own set of stomach issues and I have to be aware of a lot of things. And you just said it like carbonation, which I love carbonation. I love sparkling water, even just plain outside of races. <laughs> yeah. But you, you hit the nail on the head. I had no idea. I just started reading some research on celiac stuff and other stomach things and maladies that affect us more. And I had no idea that just carbonation, period. It doesn't even matter if it's just plain mineral water that's sparkling. It causes bloating. It causes all these other things. So yeah, it's not good while we're running up and down anyway <laughs> to be adding all this other factors into the mix. And I found recently that I personally just like a gel that has any, I don't care what flavor it is. I don't care if it's plain vanilla. I don't care what it is. If it's just a simple flavor and I could smash it down with water, I'm feeling like that, that that's easier for me right now. That could change another year from now. But I went from Morton thinking it was the most perfect thing on earth to now I'm like, I think I had it too many times. I'm like, no, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I, need, I need a Morton too. Go with it. Exactly. Exactly. So after, after that, um, you know, you come through there, obviously it's not a, a race like you're used to like Siam where you're coming through, there's the men's finish and the women's finish, and there's this big camaraderie and everybody's kind of around the finish line. And that's like kind of the big energy, especially when you run a sick time, like a two thirty or a two twenty nine. So even though you had to be stoked beyond belief to break 230, was it just different because there was just so few people there? And again, all the COVID, COVID protocols that needed to be in place were there. Was that different because of like feeling, you know, coming across there and what it was like for you? So not really. It actually, like there was a pretty good amount of spectators or at least it felt like that because it was like such a small court, like it was like four point something mile loops. Um, so there was like enough spectators that it still felt and every, like everybody that was there was there as a spectator cheering for a specific person. Um, so it was like very educated spectators, um, and very enthusiastic and like very emotional. Um, so it really didn't feel like any different, um, than like a big race with a, with big crowds, um, 
because everybody was so invested in it. So it was still like very, very special. And um, it didn't, it didn't really feel like it obviously wasn't like the New York city marathon, but there was enough people there that um, you felt really good when you crossed the show. <laughs> good. And you know, at the end of the day, no one really understands what that time means except for us, right? I mean, and even our closest significant others, maybe a few of our really closest trading partners, most of them really don't understand like if you're one second or five minutes or they don't really understand why that's going to make us feel so happy or so sad or somewhere in between. But um, yeah, I think loop style courses are great. I wish we had more of them because it gives you the chance to see people. Like you said, they can stay in that spot. And, you know, again, if they want to give you a bottle, if you're getting elite nutrition on the table, if you want it, you are actually just using water with your own gels. But I'm just saying it gives that, opportunity for you where somebody could hand you, let's say you wanted a soda late in the race, like ultra runners are really known to do, you know, just to get sugar in, um, late if they've been out doing a 50 or hundred mile or something like that. Um, but whatever it is you might like, have a piece of candy, <laughs> you know, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what's going to bring you home the fastest in that last 5k, but as long as it's something that you've uh, tried before, so you're not like hurling your guts up in the last 5k, it's probably a good idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at this point, you know, we, we talked about some of your biggest races, um, and you've had some absolutely crushing times killing it. Um, and you have your eye on anything big, you know, outside of this huge, you know, fundraising initiative for Boston, you know, obviously finishing up school is like probably top of mind the most, but is there any like, maybe like long-term or race that you, you and Ray have talked about that's like on the radar that you're starting to think about, or is it just too early to even think about that at this point? Yeah, not really. Um, I'm definitely, you kind of nailed it. I'm just trying to focus on school, um, finish that up this year. Um, I obviously would like to get to the trials at some point. So um, I got to think about that in the next couple of years, if if that's going to be a goal. But no, for now, just, just this, as we talked about earlier, it came up kind of last minute and um, then it's, it's quite a grind in school right now. So um, got to get that cross that off my list. Smart move. Focus on that. Get that done. And then you can, you know, the relief will come. The stress will go away. Um, You know, it will. Um, You're almost there. You know what it's like. We runners know how to grind and buckle down, but you're right. Focus on that. Get that piece handled. And, you know, you and Ray will come up with a plan and figure out what's next. You want to work on speed or, um, maybe do some track stuff or outdoor stuff or cross country or whatever, just to mix it up, to have some fun, maybe even jump in an ultra to make things really spicy. Who knows? I, I have ultra runners on here all the time, so I can recruit you into the ultra side very easily. I'll get you into the JFK 50 maybe elite. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're ready, you know who to call. Um, anything else? Is there any key points or, you know, anything we didn't get a chance to touch on or cover off on that's important to your top of mind? Um, I just want to thank anybody listening that's supported me so far. Um, if you choose to share my story, uh, this has already gotten so much bigger than I imagined it to. And um, I'm really, really grateful for the support from my running friends, my nursing friends, my coworkers have been so wonderful. My um, classmates have also been so wonderful and my professors super understanding and supportive. Um, my family, every, everyone in my life has has just been super, super supportive of this. Um, and yeah, I just, 
want to express my gratitude for that. Um, yeah, that's, I think that sums it up. <laughs> Beautifully said in a perfect place to land it with gratitude. So, um, Sam, I appreciate you coming on. I know that you've been in demand and busy and, you know, literally like doing as many of these things as you can to help spread the word for such an important cause and, and to try to raise more money. Um, cause that's what it's really all about to, uh, get more help for your colleagues that need it in the space and bring more attention to this really important cause. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your inspiring story and what it means to you. And also talking a little bit about your, uh, your running as well. And I wish you all the best on Patriots Day, Marathon Monday, April 18th. I'll be up there sharing the streets with you. I hope, uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope I see you at some point. Um, I'll yeah. have, have some podcast swag for you. So I'll, I'm just going to bring oh. a whole bunch of stuff up there. And this way, when I run into guests like yourself, I'll be able to share some things for, uh, for coming on and sharing your story because I know it's going to inspire other runners to think about what can they do in the community? What can they do that's charitable? to help move the needle about something important. And that's a huge part of my show. And that's where I land and finish every show with every guest is community service and something they're doing within their community. So we just flipped the script and did it all first because to bring, <laughs> to bring more attention to it. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And we close every show. We tell all of our runners out there to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Kudos to Sam for doing exhaustive searches, trying to do anything she could to find the resources around to help her friend, and just hitting one dead end after another. Most of us at that point throw our hands up, get frustrated, and give up. But she decided to lace up her shoes for a cause that is deeply personal to her, um, seeing the impact that COVID has had on the nurses in the industry, I mean, people just leaving in droves, staff shortages, you know, the emotional toll that it's taken on people and their families. Um, it's just been a really rough ride. And I know it firsthand, you know, being right here in New York City. So I'm so inspired by her effort, what she's trying to do. She's already raised over $28,000 and she's going to keep her fundraising open more. So we have the link in the Instagram post on the Facebook post, and I'll put it in my um, Instagram bio as well. So it's easily accessible by all. And if you can, and you have the means, you know, please donate some money to Sam. If you're out on the course, if you're up here for marathon Monday weekend for Patriots day, you know, look for the girl blasting by you in nursing scrubs. And, uh, Lord knows she's going to be going pretty fast with a 229 marathon PR. So, um, really enjoyed this one. And uh, sorry if my voice sounds horrible, I got a sinus infection, but uh, just landing in Boston and uh, doing this from the lobby of the Four Seasons and uh, excited to start seeing everybody and getting over to the expo, picking up my bib and starting to get the Boston juices flowing all. So uh, keep, uh, keep lacing them up, my friends, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. <laughs>